Hi, welcome to GrandFonsale.com where we're passionate about building confidence through education. Today we're going to be interviewing Stephen Young who is a passionate web developer and programmer. Hope you enjoy the interview. So today we've got Stephen Young with us. Uh, so Stephen, let's start from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Tell us where you grew up. Um, originally in Johannesburg, in um, down south in Alberton. Yeah. Uh, moved to Somerset West when I was in standard, end of standard six. Um, my mom got sick with a heart condition, so we moved down here for the clean air. Uh, hated my parents for making me move. <laughs> um, so I was very grumpy for about two years. Um, but now I'd never go back, I love it here. So, um, so I was there and then I finished school, I studied a diploma in computer science for a year and then went to the UK, uh, worked there for two years. Okay, and what did you end up doing in the UK? Um, I worked for a company called Dunstan Thomas. They were a software consultancy agency. Uh, so we did some work for British Telecom, uh, Channel 4, uh, those kind of things. Uh, and they were also a Microsoft and Borland partner. Borland was a popular programming language back in the day. Okay. Um, so actually ended up doing quite a lot of teaching and training, which was very weird for me because I'm, I'm quite shy naturally. Yeah. Um, but the way it worked there is you got bonuses if you did the teaching classes. <laughs> and I was, when we moved there, you know, you save up all of your cash for, for you know, yeah. to go overseas and you spend it all in about five minutes. Um, <laughs> so like I paid my, yeah. <laughs> paid my deposit, bought a like, train pass and then had no more money left for yeah. food. So for a while we were, we were eating baked beans out of the, the tin. <laughs> And you put the tin on so the stove funny, yeah. and, and heat it up. So, so I had quite a lot of incentive to do the, yeah. the teaching courses, even though it terrified me. Um, I think that happens so much, eh? Where you, you think you're going to go over where the grass is so much greener, and then you get there and you realize you actually wake up cool <laughs> everything that side is so much more expensive and lifestyle is way more expensive. So. Yeah, but you know, I think it was, it was good being put in that situation where, you know, it was really living day yeah. to day, had nothing and coming through that on the other end and, you know, actually getting a decent job yeah. and being able to go on holidays yeah, and eh? yeah, it kind of gives you the self-confidence that, you know, if something like that's going to happen again, you know, well, you can, yeah. you can figure something out. So. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of youngsters today, they've, like, they're playing with the idea of, listen, do we go overseas, get the experience, do we stick it out here? Mm -hmm. Now, from your experience, what do you think was the real impact in that time? So I don't, so it's a very different time, right? So when, yeah. when I was there, it was very easy to get work. I think it's probably easier to get a job as a programmer here in South Africa now than it is in the UK. Yeah. Um, the economy isn't fantastic. Uh, but on the other hand, it was really good seeing a completely different life. Um, also, sometimes yeah. think we don't realize how good you have it here. Um, you can have a fairly decent job, so maybe you can't go to Italy every two weeks yeah. on holiday, but the kind of lifestyle you can live and the, the quality of life for a fraction of the cost that you have over yeah. there is... You know, it's not something to ignore. Yeah, and I think that's quite important nowadays so to balance those two up because, I mean, otherwise what we land up doing is we just work our butts off to earn Uber salaries and then we don't realize that, you know, the quality of life earning X is exactly the same as earning Z, you know? Exactly. I mean, so they've done a whole bunch of studies and, you know, I think it's, it's done in the States, but once you earn over say, about $80,000 a year, yeah making more money has got no effect on your happiness. Yeah, so, so up to, once you can take care of your basic needs and have a little bit of extra cash um, to be able to maybe go on holiday and you know, treat yourself to something every now and then, after that, what makes you happy has got nothing to do with money. Uh, so I think it's very important to have yeah. that balance. I think, I think I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, otherwise what happens if you don't set those clear goals in the beginning, you land up just working so hard and totally unnecessarily. Yeah, so you've got all this money, but you've not done anything with yeah, it, you know. No, yeah. Okay, now you, you major into the research sort of game. I mean, that's like your hobby and you do that for fun. I mean, you don't have a TV or anything at home. No, well, I've got Netflix, but I, 
mostly watch documentaries. Yeah, to just get research. And I think that's great. You know, I mean, today we actually waste quite a bit of time on watching unnecessary stuff. So you've obviously gone that route. Now, give us some of your avenues on how you do your research. Because, I mean, you do a lot of research. Mm. So, I don't really have a methodology. I just kind of... I'll listen to something on the radio or actually listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, and then if I find something that I think is interesting, I'll just Google it, right? Yeah. So you just start looking. And after a while, you kind of get to know the people who've got interesting things to say. And to almost use them as people to curate recommendations for yeah. you. Uh, and then also, I just, I just read a lot. So a lot of the books that people recommend I'd already read. So yeah. I'll go back and read that. Uh, I've got friends who are interested in different topics, so you know I'm interested in lots of little d different things. Yeah. But and then I've got people who are really into design, and then I'll get some um, inspiration from them. I've got other pe friends who are mathematicians, and then they'll tell me some interesting yeah. stuff. Uh, my um, my brother's ex girlfriend Natasha, she's a, um, a AIDS researcher. She's doing okay. postdoc research in the, sure. in the States now at the moment. So she's of, often sending me interesting papers on, you know, neuropsychology and all those kind of things. So yeah. it's just a little bit of stuff everywhere. Um, and the, uh, the more things you've read, the more connections you can yeah. make. So True. it becomes easier to jump from one thing to the next. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's nothing really structured. It's just whatever I find interesting, I'll read yeah. about. Yeah, I think that's great. Like from a starting point, because I mean, we're all so interested in so many cool things and we don't even know where to start. So what would your advice be on that? So it all depends. So it's very different for art world than it is yeah. for the science world. Uh, if, if you're interested in things like psychology, which I think is everybody really should know, uh, a lot of the user experience design field is really just psychology applied to yeah. user interfaces. Um, so if you're reading those kind of things, I'd start with the popular science books. Yeah. So, you know, um, uh, there's a million of them that come out every year. So yeah. just pick whatever is popular um, on um, like Barnes & Noble or Amazon. Start reading, you know, you'll find what you're interested in and then you know, see what other books, so when you look in Amazon, there's an often bought with, so you, you can yeah. look at that other list, and then it kind of, you follow a little bit of a trail until something grabs you, and then you yeah. just read. So, so it's really difficult for me, because it's, it's really, I don't really research with a purpose, yeah. I just find it interesting, so I'll read whatever's, whatever grabs my yeah. interest. Um, but have you found that the more research you do, the more confident you become in it? And have you developed a sort of style or yeah, is it so kind of all over to, the show? What you tend to get eventually is you can tell who is full of shit, yeah. you know. So who's making, doing it because they're just trying to sell a, sell a book. Yeah, true. And then you find people who are, like Malcolm Gladwell's got amazing books. Yeah. Um, the Freakonomics guys have amazing, uh, int very, very interesting stuff, Stephen Dubner and them. So you, you kind of, you get to know that, okay, well, who, whatever this person, yeah, what they release is interesting. Tim Ferriss is also very interesting. So you kind of build this, like, loose connection of people that you think are interesting and whose opinions match yours. Doesn't necessarily, so, so, I mean, there is a danger that you yeah. end up in this bubble, right, where you just yeah. gravitate to people who already think the same as you. Yeah. Um, but... So you have to be open-minded at the same time. Yeah, so try, you know, if, if you hold a very strong opinion about something, try read the opposite. So yeah. don't just read everything. Get, get a complete open view. Yeah. Okay, and, and on the point of different books and authors and that, do you recommend any specific guys to, to really look into from a business perspective? I mean, obviously books are so open-ended. So. Yeah, so for, on the business side of things, I think you should probably read Freakonomics. Um, yeah. That's uh, Stephen Dubner and I can't remember the other guy's name now. Um, I would definitely read all of... Uh, Seth Godin's got quite a few good books. Um, Lynchpin is good. Uh, Purple Cow. Yeah. Um, the Icarus Deception, they're also very good. If you, it's a little bit uh, off the business side, but I think is very important is um, the talent code. So it, the, that talks about the difference between 
Well, how your brain learns something and, yeah. and the fact that everything is learnable. So it kind of opened my eyes to the difference between the, you get a growth mindset and you get a fixed mindset. And yeah. a growth mindset believes that you, you can learn anything, you can get better. Yeah. Uh, and a fixed mindset, you believe that you're born with an innate level of talent. So, so I'll yeah. give an example. It's like you get a capacity and you and reach that and that's it. And then you never, you never grow. So a uh, like good example of that in my own life is when I was young, my mom used to work and we'd, after school I'd go to, there was an art school around the corner from where we, from where we lived. And then I'd sit there every day and kind of draw yeah. and you know, I won an art prize when I was 12. And I kind of thought, because I was so young, I was just, oh, well, I'm good at art. Yeah. And on the reverse side of that, I was never really good at sports. So I was quite skinny and, yeah. and awkward when I was younger. And then I came to, to Paul Valet and they have a, had a very good art program and there were lots of other really good artists there. Yeah. And then I wasn't the best anymore. And then all of a sudden I was like, well, you know, I'm okay, but I'm not that good because yeah. I thought I had, was, it was an innate talent. Yeah. And then after school, I started doing sports and I just didn't like team sports, but I liked individual sports. So I like wakeboarding and um, kite surfing, yeah. all those kind of things. And over the years, I'm probably a much better sportsman now than I, I'm an artist. Yeah, yeah. And it was just because I had a growth mindset in sports and a fixed mindset Crazy, in, yeah. in, in art. So yeah. I think just breaking that mold. So the two books for that is The Talent Code and um, Outliers by Mark, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. So Outliers, the big thing it taught me was that you need a certain level of competence. Yeah. So, so one of the things they say in there is once your IQ is over 120, you know more or less likely from to get a, a Nobel Prize as yeah. your IQ goes higher yeah. because then you're smart enough. Exactly. That, I mean, then you hit the, the, the then you're smart enough above average or out. excellent mark, you know? Yes. And then things like, well, you know, how tenacious are you? Can you stick with the problem? Yeah. How, how well are you dealing with people? Can you get funding for your research? Yeah. Those things start mattering more. Uh, same with basketball. Once you have a six foot two, you don't have an advantage over somebody who's who's shorter than you. Yeah. So if you combine that with the talent code, which says everything is learnable, so you, you just need a basic um, level of competence or skill, yeah. and then you can grow up from yeah. there. That's interesting. I, I love the the fact that you're talking about when you were when you were small, you thought you were this, and now that you've grown up, you've like actually figured out actually the complete opposite to that. So that that's like the psychology the psychology behind it. Now, how important do you think that is today in understanding who we are, in order to really get the fullness out of ourselves? I think it's very important. I still don't think I know really everything yeah. about myself. Yeah, it's going to be a never-ending journey, you know, like. Yeah. And there's certain things that you don't want to accept about yourself, yeah. so you kind of kid yourself that it's not. True, yeah. yeah. So, but I do think it's very important. I don't think it's easy. Um, I'm still kind of working it out. I think. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think for me, it's also it's a never-ending journey. But you know, when when I started getting to the point where I started understanding my personality a little better, I realized what I enjoyed doing, what I didn't enjoy doing, and then I focused on those things that I enjoyed doing. Yeah, like it's very important. I speak to to um, at Alan Gray where I work. I've I got a few guys that that report to me. So part of part of my responsibility is to to kind of coach them and yeah. help them develop themselves. And one of the things I always tell them is, if you if you're not enjoying or love what you're doing, yeah. you aren't gonna be able to keep up with the guys who do. Because yeah. on the weekend when you go home and do something else they're going and learning yeah. this thing. So you're never going to... And they're passionate them. about it, yeah. Uh, so, and also, there was this, there's this idea that you should always, excuse me, you should always work on your, on your weak points. Yeah. But I don't really think so. I think you should yeah. know what your weak points are and then find a team around you who you can work on those. Them, yeah, right? definitely. So, I and agree. then you just go and do the stuff that you've got you, you want to be playing in the space where you've got an unfair advantage. Yeah. Don't go play in the space where you are struggling Average. uphill yeah. and there's somebody else who's just naturally better at it than you. Yeah. 
No, definitely. I think that makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned Alan Gray. So how does it feel to be part of a, a nice corporate company like that? Uh, I, well, I really love it there, actually. Um, the main reason I enjoy it is the people. The, everybody there is just wicked smart. So it's really fun to, to work somewhere where you, you don't have to explain anything twice. You yeah. give somebody an idea and they run with it and they make something amazing out of it. And the second thing, which I think is almost more important, is that it is the most ethical place I've ever worked. Oh, wow. So they will never do anything that's not in the client's best interest. Okay. They will always try their very, very best to do the right thing for, for the investor. Yeah. And even if it's not the best thing for the company. Yeah. So... Um, all the way up to the very, very highest level. So, so that's very, very important for me. Um, so, yeah, so and I've been at other startups, which were very fun and very interesting, but just nowhere else that I've worked has yeah. had that kind of level of, of ethics. And um, like, oh, I've worked at other places with lots of talented people. Yeah. I have to say that. But I think Alan Gray has really got it down when it comes to ethics the investment philosophy, they really know what they're doing and they stick to their guns through rough and tough times and yeah. it, they are consistent, you know, exactly. especially on the investment front, which they are specialists in. Yeah. Now, at Alan Gray, you wear quite a few different hats. You're the architect for what we see as the alangray.co.za, you operations and you team manager. and you <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. out of those different spheres, what do you find being the most exciting for you? So, so I tend to like working on the bits where I can see there's going to be the most impact. So, so if, so say I, because yeah, so my, my role is very much in the middle of a lot of things. Yeah. So, so what I'm interested in is building amazing products, right? Yeah. So, and wherever the, the weak point is for that, I like to get involved and try to, you know, so, so started getting a bit of a design um, yeah. ethic going on in, in Alan Gray. So realizing how important design is, educating other people about design. Before that, it was all about um, building the right team because uh, they did a lot of um, external contractors before yeah. and then decided to bring things in-house. So for the first three years that I was there, I was just interviewing people nonstop. Sure. So hundreds Crazy, of, yeah. we would see a hundred CVs for every one person we made an offer for, okay. you know, so it was really, took up a huge amount of time. On that point, before you move on, but let's talk about CVs quickly. I mean, mm. that's always an interesting thing and it's such a daunting thing for most people. What, yeah. obviously you dealt with thousands of CVs. What did you say was the CVs that stuck out and why would those CVs stick out to you? The... <laughs> So it would be the people who didn't bring me a CV. Uh, so okay. the people who I knew or somebody I trusted told me this guy is really good. So reference that? Yeah. So doing, doing amazing work. I'd much rather see something that you yeah. did than, than see a piece of paper that says you did something. Okay. Uh, and then, yeah, networks. So, you know, as you get to know the, the best people in the industry, the best people know the other the other people who are on their level. Yeah. They like to work with them. They like keeping in contact with them. Definitely. You know, if you work at a company and there was one guy there who was just brilliant, he's the guy that you tend to stay in contact yeah. with, right? So because you learn from them, there's a, like a feedback. Yeah. And I mean, the tech industry in Cape Town is pretty small, right? So you know who the good guys are. Yeah. And if you don't know if this guy's good, you know somebody who is good who knows him. So. Yeah. So that's what I would say. I would, I would, I think CVs are almost a waste of time. Don't bother with them. Yeah. Um, just it's kind of like the new sort of resume today is your online sort of presence, right? Yeah. You know, for in the tech tech world, if you've done open source stuff, if you've done your, own, if you've got side projects, those are really those count a lot for me because yeah. I can look at what it looks like, I can feel it, I can see what you would do if it's yeah. just you. Um, and then being able to tell me afterwards why you made certain decisions, what you learned from it, how did you get to the point where it is, yeah. um, that I find is the easiest way. Because um, it's very hard, it's very, very difficult to determine if somebody's a good programmer. Yeah. It's such a huge field. You, you can use all the right buzzwords but not understand deep 
down what it actually yeah. is. So, and it's difficult to unpack that in an hour interview or even yeah. a two hour or three. I mean, we do lots of interviews. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's very difficult to, to kind of get to that. I mean, after, you know, seeing so many people and so many CVs, you kind of get an instinct. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, the point is to stand out, right? And you don't want to be like the average CV that get, gets handed in and exactly. then at the end of the day, you know, like that person has to read. Through. You want a, a reference where you know that person from wherever and you know, okay, well, that work is, I can't go without it. You exactly. Know? So you, you want to, you need to be good. So, so, for, so that's, that's the ticket to the game, right? If you're not yeah. good, then you, you're not going to get the best jobs. But once you're good and once you know what you're doing and you know your craft, yeah. then you need to be different. So how are you different? What have you done that makes you stand out? Um, if you, uh, people that are not just programmers, I think are also very valuable. People yeah. who can do programming and something else. So yeah. people who know programming and design, people who know programming and how to admin servers or you know those kind of yeah. things. And I think this is true in, in any field, right? If you, if you just look at one thing there's always going to be somebody better than you yeah. but if you're good at three or four unique things yeah. that combination is going to be invaluable to somebody yeah. and there's yeah. not going to be that many people with that same combination no, I agree. so I so i think you need to cultivate two or three things that you are really 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 good at yeah. uh, and then play to that strength and yeah. get really good at explaining to people why you're different and why what it is that you bring to the table that somebody else yeah do. you kind of need to be confident in who you are and your value proposition exactly and i mean someone yeah. says to you what is your value proposition you 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 pause and it's like already you've undersold yourself you know exactly okay great now tell us more about 227 i know you know you're one of the guys that's or what part of the team I, that I was, started it up there yeah, i went just after they started um i went over with one of the, the guys that used to work at alan gray he was one of the founding members um it was that's an old mutual initiative right no so that, it was originally by christo darfel yeah. he's um he was the founder of uh, 2020 the the first online bank um, which eventually uh, there were problems with the banking licenses. The, the company that sponsored their banking license went bankrupt, which kind of brought... <laughs> Not very good for a bank. Eh? Yeah, it's, it was, this was during the, the whole crisis. The recession time, time yeah. and that, yeah. So, so they kind of, uh, they got unlucky because they, they you know, banking licenses are super expensive. Yeah. So you, know, you can't really get a banking license hoping that a bank's going to survive. So, so they worked on a banking license for somebody else and then yeah. it just... So, uh, but then Christo started uh, uh, 227 and the whole idea with 227 is to use behavioral economics to adjust the way people, um, their relationship to their money. Yeah. Um, you put in, you give them your account details, it goes and scrapes all of your information, transactions, automatically kind of... So like your bonds and, and your loans and bonds, anything to... loans, your, your day-to-day um, -day accounts. Budgets on steroids, pretty much. Exactly. Well, and completely automated. So, so it's not. It's not really meant just to be a budget tool. Yeah. It's, you know, like you when you open the app, all of your trans, everything you did today is already pre-done. Yeah. There's there's machine learning algorithms that learn what um, the names of the transactions are and automatically categorizes it for you. It helps you with your tax returns, all those kind of things. Um, okay. I think they they they're doing some interesting things. Um, It'll be interesting to see where they go. Okay. And from, from being on the programming side with them, what is the one thing that you've learned from them? So I didn't go there to learn programming. So, yeah. so the reason I went there is because Christo is amazing at building brands. Yeah. Uh, and he's got an incredible design aesthetic. So the, the amazing designers there um, got to know some really, really interesting people. So that was the main reason I actually went. It was because I could learn something outside of my main field. Yeah. Um, so to challenge yourself a little bit. Yeah. So to yeah, so see how you do brand building. How do you handle the press? Um, how yeah. do you um, create a buzz around a product? Um, how Which do they've done pretty well. Phenomenal. I yeah. mean, Christo is world class at that. Yeah. No, they've definitely done a good job at that. You can see that. Yeah. And I mean, branding is going to be so important going forward now. Exactly. Yeah. 
So, so that was why I went. Um, and you know, that's what I got out of it. And then Alan Gray approached me to go back and I, then I really wanted to take what I learned there and try to apply it inside the Alan Gray environment. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned earlier that one of your hobbies is now windsurfing. Kite surfing. Kite surfing. Yeah. I'm assuming um, wind, wind hunters <laughs> originated from that. Yeah. It's quite nice to be able to be a programmer and just <laughs> program together quickly yeah. to find the wind. Yeah, so, so there's, um, we partnered with a guy here in Cape Town who's got wind meters at all of the big kite beaches oh, and wow. we built a, a real-time wind feed system. Uh, and lost a lot of money on it. <laughs> so, um, so I could learn some very valuable lessons there. I, I think I spent more money than I should have too early. Okay. So it didn't really validate that there was a market. Okay, well, that's interesting. I mean, that's a lesson in itself. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not always like the green light sometimes. Yeah, so, just... so the thing is, we, it's a, we moved forward based on, on things that weren't real tan so so you we'd show to people and they'd say oh that looks amazing i definitely yeah. use that and then until you asked them to actually put some money down yeah. right so so like one of the things i learned there is you know, if you're going to start a new venture especially if it's a you know if you're going to open another mcdonald's you know that there's people who's going to buy mcdonald's yeah. and if you just do what they say you've got a business right yeah. it's a business model in a yeah. box but if you're trying to invent something new you can't do that on the basis of people saying, yeah, that's awesome, that's really cool. Because first of all, most of the times you're going to ask your friends, they want to, to say good things to you, right? Yeah. So they want, and then they're like, yeah, that sounds quite nice. I will use that. But it doesn't mean that they will spend their money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's um, two different things where put money where you, where you talk and exactly. not spending any money on anything. And, and, and money is a vote of belief, right? You're saying, yeah. I believe that this thing's going to work. I believe yeah. that this is going to bring value to my life. Uh, and then also the other thing is, you know, the size of the market wasn't big enough. Uh, and the, the and to scale would have required putting up weather stations all over the world, yeah. right? So so the there wasn't an easy organic way to grow the business. Yeah. So um, learn valuable lessons doing that. Uh, so definitely would do things very different next time. Yeah. I think it's important now. I mean, you get I get a lot of guys that come up to me with a whole bunch of ideas, and before I set up business structures or anything like that. I always say, well, have you done a demo run? Yeah. Like, have you got in, anyone that's interested in it? Have, have you approached your friends to see if they would pay for it, you know? Because yeah. you'll find that most of the time, that will be already a, a, a sign whether it's going to work or not, you know? Exactly. And the thing is, yeah, ideas, really ideas are pretty much worthless. Yeah. What, what matters is execution, right? Yeah. So, and, and your idea is probably wrong. So, so... It's, it's a good place to start, but yeah. you need to, to be able to shift and adjust until you find something that fits the market. Yeah. Uh, like speaking about business books, The Lean Startup is amazing. Yeah, that's that a advice. great book. Eh? Yeah. So, and that kind of really talks to that whole idea of how do you test this idea before you spend money on your idea. Yeah. Uh, and I'd read which that is, before. Yeah, which is kind of important now because I mean, otherwise what you land up doing is you're wasting your, your emotions because it's an emotional process, let's, yep. let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Then secondly, you're wasting your resources. And then thirdly, you're going to be wasting a lot of money unnecessarily. Yeah, and, and, and even more important than the money is the time, right? Because that opportunity cost is not just the money. It's also yeah. what else could you have been doing with that time? Yeah. Could I have learned the same? I could have learned those same. So for wind hunters, for example, I could have gotten people to pay me and I could have sat with the wind meter on the beach and texted them the answers, <laughs> exactly. right? So I could have tested, without spending a cent, yeah. I could have tested that there's a working business model exactly. here. But I didn't, I didn't think that way because you, you have this idea about this beautiful thing that you've dreamed up in your yeah. head and you've got all these and logical it makes sense reasons to you why it makes and sense. Yeah. But it's not something that people, it's not a big enough problem for people to spend money on to fix. Exactly. So... You know, so finding ways to test those ideas, proving that there's actually a business here, um, yeah. and then and then starting off completely manually, and and then only automating the stuff when you've got too many clients to do it manually. Yeah. You know, so 
It's a very different thing, way to think, and it's very difficult for techies to, to think that way because yeah. we just think, well, we'll just build something to solve exactly. the world's problems. You yeah. know? But the problem with techies is your time is your, your money. You know? exactly. And I mean, if you go and spend all your time on something, it's not going to work and it's kind of pointless. Exactly. And, and, then, and also, often what techies do is they spend three years building it inside their basements, not showing it to anybody. Yeah. And the whole time you're doing that, you're not learning anything. You're yeah. not learning anything about your market. You're not learning anything about your customers. Yeah. You know, so you need to speak to people. You need to yeah. get stuff out there. Yeah. But you know, the great thing about that, mm. the positive side, even though, I mean, it's operational and it's not as successful as you'd like it to be, but you've learned so much from it. Exactly. You've yeah. learned from the process. And that's one thing we mustn't forget is that even through our failures or failures or however you want to put it, oh, yeah. you <laughs> are going to like uh, learn through that process. And I mean, I, I can mention for myself numerous and numerous sort of occasions where I've done things, haven't worked out how I wanted it to, but that's led to such better things exactly. later on. Yeah. So I was watching a documentary on the, the Large Hadron Collider um, and one of the scientists there said the, the secret to success is going from failure to failure with undiminished enthusiasm. Oh wow, that's um, brilliant. Eh? And, and you know, I think it's very true. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about your blog. Yes. No. Okay, so tell us about your blog a little bit because obviously you and I share a very similar passion and that's about educating people and getting people more confident to become better at whatever mm. sphere that they want to be. So grantfansale.com is all about getting people more confident around the investment world, financial world, and you are obviously trying to get people more confident around the development pro programming world. Yeah. yeah. So, so my, my blog is called Aesthetic.io, and it's kind of, at the moment, mostly focused on design and um, programming. Yeah. But eventually, we'll probably spread out more because I think there's more than just design and programming needed to build amazing products. Yeah. So being able to speak to your um, markets, understand, uh, being able to run the business in a, an efficient way, all those kind of things. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot more. Because programming is one thing, but then there's a business behind it yeah, that you need right. to understand. If, if you're programming the wrong thing, then what's the point? Yeah, right? exactly. So, but, but the, you know, for me, my, the area where I've got the most expertise and the most experience is in programming. And I think there's a lot that you can do to just... So what I see a lot with guys, they're really enthusiastic. They're yeah. really dedicated to learning their craft. Yeah. But then they focus on the wrong things. And I did it for a long time too. And you don't... The reason you do that is because you don't know what the right thing to focus on is. Yeah. So and that's kind of where I started with the blog. So again, because I, I mentor some of the, the guys at work, instead of just telling them once, if they come to me with a question, I would write a blog post on that so that the next time we've got a new guy come in, he can also see that, yeah. but then I also put it out there. So Which is great. And I mean, most of that stuff is, is stuff that's not going to change. So No, and that's, that's a big thing too. So I, I try not to focus too much on specific technologies. I try to focus on because a lot of technologies try to solve the same problem. They try to solve it in a slightly different way and they yeah. try to they make different trade-offs. But if you know the underlying principles and the like the driving forces that, that are made these technologies necessary, yeah. you are much better when in something new coming out, you can say, yeah. Oh right, they're just trying to solve that problem. It's slightly different in this yeah. way. Or it's actually just the same, so I don't know what all this hype is about. Yeah. So, so that's kind of where the focus lies. And the same with, with design, there's, there's some base, so if you want to be a great designer, world class, then you know, it's years of practice. Yeah. If you want to learn the basics, there's a few things that you need to learn and you can learn it quite quickly. Yeah. Um, and you know, well, at least you can be better than 90% of the people yeah. out there. Um, yeah, I think with, with going forward into the future, I mean, programming is going to be a non-negotiable sort of thing when it comes to business. Yes, yes. And I not, think... not necessarily to be able to program, but to understand programming. And to understand the, the possibilities that it opens up and to understand how easy it is to innovate yeah. and to also realize that you know, if you're not, you know, in today's world, you're not competing anymore in a local, yeah, um, in local it's space. It's, it's global, space, right? Yeah. And, you know, if you're not 
innovating and coming up with something new, you are going to be irrelevant soon. Yeah. Um, obviously, it depends, right? There's, 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 you get the businesses that swing for the fences and it's yeah. binary. So you either make a billion or you make nothing. Yeah. And then you get smaller businesses where you're, you're adding value to somebody's life. And so, so you can choose, right? Yeah. So, so, and I think that's the way that, the, that, that, that businesses are going to go. You're going to have these kind of category changing, disruptive businesses that just, you know, Netflix made Blockbuster go, yeah. go bankrupt. Yeah, totally. uh, but then you get other businesses where you, you just, if you can actually niche down. So instead of being a developer who builds websites, is your developer who builds websites for food bloggers yeah. who are just growing Coffee from, niche yes. Yeah. And, and, and so because, there's so many people on the internet now. Yeah. So if, if you can if you can find that niche where you can add out um, out compete other people because you just have that little bit of extra thing there, yeah. people will go to you. So if you're a food blogger who's yeah. just starting oh, to grow, you yeah. you're not going to go to a generic website developer. Yeah. You're going to go to the guy who's built five other blogs for exactly. people just like you. Yeah. So and I think that applies pretty much everywhere. So yeah, and I think more and more today with our sort of generation where we want instant gratification and we want very specialized stuff, we're moving more and more towards that sort of sphere than in the past where you would go to like a generalist, you know. And and I think it's a, it's a function of the way business is moving. So if you think about it, back in the day, how do you distribute stuff? Yeah. You know, it would be, you need to have a contract with a big distributor somewhere to get it into all of the, um, the big chain stores, etc. Yeah. So you had to make generic products that could work for most people. But now with the internet, you know, you put your stuff on eBay or Etsy, yeah. you, you, you have a blog that speaks to the audience that you're interested in and you can sell stuff. You can, you can specialize in making only blue handbags for yeah. people who love blue handbags, right? And it doesn't okay. matter what yeah. it is. Because uh, there's three billion people online, yeah. right? So somebody out there, there's enough people out there to keep you busy. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, you just need to learn how to speak to engage them. them yeah. yeah. Now, obviously, your your blog focuses on a lot on helping developers and programmers. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're not a programmer and you know, like for myself, for instance, I mean, I'm in the financial world, and obviously, I, I strive for excellence there. So I don't have the time yeah. to become this programmer. Now, for someone like myself, how would I go about getting a good understanding of the programming world? Mm, so I don't even think you need to understand. I don't think you need to understand the programming world. I think there's other things that you need to understand more. So I think this that idea of the moving from like what's called you know broadcasting where you yeah. spin everything out to narrow casting so yeah. so how do you how do you narrow what your message is to speak to a specific person so i think understanding the impact the internet has had on yeah. the way business is done yeah. is mega important understanding how easy it's becoming to build tech so yeah. so as much as tech is expensive but you know things that would in 1998 a business that would have you would have needed an army of 50 to 100 developers and 100 million dollars to build, yeah. you could probably build with two guys for $50,000. Serious, eh? so it's the technology today and the manpower and the information that we have today is just... Yeah, so, so the spits. engineering, engineering the, the technology is, for most problems, is not the hard bits anymore. Yeah. Um, back then, it was very difficult to build a website that could scale. It was very difficult. You had to go buy all of your own servers, you know. So it's, it was something that you needed to have a tremendous amount of money and tech um, experience with. Yeah. Nowadays, what you need is to be able to understand your customer yeah. and figure out a way to craft your solution and your offering to, customize it for yes, those, and for and the technology is a piece in there. Yeah, it's not everything. So it's bigger than just a, an app. It's okay. it's everything around it. Cool. So, so so I think that's very important. Um, I think knowing about things like Elance and Odesk, you can outsource a lot of your stuff. Yeah. Um, so so I think it's more learning to leverage what's out there already. Yeah. 
Um, Definitely. So the the um, Mark, what's his name? The guy the used the editor of Wired. Um, okay. uh, he's got a really good talk um, about it. Maybe I'll, I'll give you a link. You can put it in the in yeah. the show notes Definitely. afterwards. Um, he's got a really good talk about the the way that the internet is changing a number of different economies, and it's taking it from the central the central control to distributed control. Okay. Uh, and the first place you saw that was with like the Linux operating system, yeah. uh, where you know before that the only way you could build an operating system was by having a massive company and the num- hundreds and hundreds of developers. And then uh, they just decided to put all the source code out there. People started working on it just because they found it interesting. And now you've got Linux, which powers 70% of the, um, the computers in the world. Serious, eh? I mean, it's crazy how that just happens. Eh? Yeah, and then the same thing happened with, with MP3s and the music industry, right? I mean, look at where we're at now. <laughs> so unbelievable. The music industry basically went bankrupt. Same yeah. happened to, to Blockbuster. So DVDs, yeah. you needed to have a central place. You could only have... A certain number of DVDs on the rack, so only the top ten DVDs became yeah. popular. Netflix makes more than half of their money from titles that only get sold once or twice a month exactly. because it doesn't cost them anything to have it. Right, so so it's that whole long tail. So before, so before everything was hit based. So it was the, the head of the the long tail. Yeah. Now you can have. Um, you can make money by selling lots of little things once or twice. Yeah. Uh, which is great and, and the whole process is automated so it's very little input from you, yourself you're selling bits right yeah. you're selling like pieces of information yeah it doesn't cost you anything to manufacture exactly which is great now for someone like myself mm-hmm. i mean obviously like i mentioned i don't have time to do programming and that mm-hmm. where would i go look for a programmer if i've got an idea so it depends it depends what you're trying to do uh you've got lots of options so if you know somebody who knows their stuff, get them to help you. So, so even if, you, if they're not interested in partnering with you or doing the actual work, you want to have somebody who can tell if somebody's lying yeah, to you. Yeah, right? you along the way. Yeah, so just say, well, like this guy, he knows what he's talking about, he doesn't, be careful, yeah. right? So you need somebody that, that can do that. Um, you should also just... When you think about, I think there's three things that you need. You need to have somebody who understands the business and the problem. You need somebody who knows how to turn that into technology. And you need somebody who can package that in a way that's beautiful. So you, yeah. need, so you, so it's not anymore that you just have an idea and you go hire a programmer. You need to go hire a programmer and a designer. Yeah. Because it's all about... All integration and look and feel and... And people, ex- like what people expect from an app today and what they expected from from an app or a website 10 years ago yeah. is not the or same even a year ago exactly so yeah. the level is just going up and you're not going to compete if, if you can't so 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 that's just i just want to make that point right you have to have also have the design skills yeah. in there the so then so then the option is you find people near you who who know those things again if you're living somewhere where you don't have access to those people it becomes difficult yeah. You can hire people online, so um, Elance, Odesk, uh, there's a few other ones where essentially what you do is you you put your problem up um, on the website and they will, then there's a whole bunch of companies spread all over the world uh, that will pitch and give you offers. Well, so you'll say, I I need an app that can do this, this, this and this, and then the, the company will say, okay, well, we can develop it for you with... 50,000 rand. Yeah, sure. So they give you proposals. That's brilliant. Eh? Yeah, that's, so I mean, that's how far technology has gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's no longer... And, and deploy it. Yeah, that's crazy. I would just, just be careful about, again, like we said before, unless you know that this yeah. is a problem... Legitimate, yeah. You can yeah. spend a lot of money and... Wasting your time, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And what do you what do you think going forward in the future? I mean, as the space, the programming space is changing so much. What's going to set apart programmers? Um, I think what I what I mentioned before the fact that being able to do more than one thing. So not just being another programmer, yeah. another cog in the in the mold. So like a one stop sort of shop, but you've got guys that are yeah, but not even so. Again, so you can niche because you because I so for, first of all, I think programmers are going to stop working 
at offices. I think more and more you, people like yeah. um, GitHub and like there's a whole bunch of, of these companies who literally their workforce is like Buffer is another example. Yeah. Their workforce is spread all over the world, right? So, so it's all online. You you yeah, log you in. You no use Skype. Anymore, yeah. So, so if there's a brilliant developer in Mongolia somewhere, you can work with him, right? Yeah. And you actually it saves you money because you're paying him a local salary. So, the, you know, you you need to then because you now have this option to work for anybody. Being a generalist, I don't think is yeah. useful anymore. So if you, you know, if you are really good at writing, you know, artificial intelligence programs to recognize this specific um, signal in whatever type of data set, yeah. you're much better off than saying, well, I can program anything, yeah. right? Because if people can go to a marketplace where they can get whatever they need, Nobody needs somebody who can program anything. Everybody's got a specific problem. Uh, so, so pick a niche, find something that makes you different from everybody else, yeah. and then build a platform that makes that visible to the world. Because yeah. it doesn't matter if you can do those things and nobody knows about you. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So let's move on to, let, have, you, have you had an experience or a project that you worked on that it just went totally wrong? Um, well, so, so I'd say the Windhunters is, is a good example of is that, it? Where, where I just, it didn't just, it didn't go totally wrong, it was just that... Well, the program itself is great, yeah, it's, yeah, just, it's just the, 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 the space is... Well, there was just no market, yeah. right? So, so the, you know, there was never a disaster, there was always some interest, there was always a little bit of, of traction... And I think that's almost more dangerous than something just not working. So because because you get a little bit of interest and you get a little bit of, of momentum, you just okay. Well, if I just do a little bit more, if I just yeah. do a little bit more, if I, you know, so so that kind of just sucks you. It's like pulls yeah. you along, right? <laughs> and then at the end, when you when you it's find like a never-ending disease. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the VCs in in Silicon Valley call it the. the like a living dead company, yeah. right? So, so okay, for them, a living dead company is a company that only makes, you know, a couple of million dollars yeah. a year, right? Because they want a 40 times return on their investment. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but the, these things where it's, it's almost there and you just send more time yeah. and more money after it and then it's almost there and just a little bit more. And you always think, what? But, you know, I've already spent so much money on it, you know, like, cost fallacy, right? so crazy. Yeah, so, so I think... So I don't think it was a disaster, but I think it was a massive learning experience. Curve, yeah. yeah. I mean, like you say, so much positive has come out of it in the end in any case. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Warren Buffett talks about that, that hole. He calls it the black hole. Yeah. And he says, if the black hole is getting too deep, stop digging. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, a, it's yeah. an important philosophy that we all need to come to terms with. And you're realizing that if it's not working, there's a reason why it's not working and just stop exactly. while you can, you know? Yeah, there's this guy who he start, built this product called um, uh, Balsamic. It's a wait, it's a program to mock up user interfaces. And, yeah. he, and he's got a, a brilliant saying where he says, you should fall in love with your problem and not your solution to the problem. Oh, and, and I think... That's, that's a good way to look at it, you know? Because, because I mean, it changes your whole... Paradigm gives you a whole paradigm shift. Exactly, because if you're falling in love with your solution to the problem, you keep throwing. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay, well, if That's I just, thing, you know, yeah. if I just make this button prettier, or if yeah. I make like, well, let's just make this little thing a little bit better. Yeah. But actually, the reason it's not working is because you're not solving that problem, or that problem isn't a big enough problem for yeah. people to care about. Crazy. Yeah. So, so I think that like reframing it that way makes it a little bit easier. No, I think it's better. I think it's way better. I know. I think it, it's going to come down to those small little paradigm shifts when it comes to all business things in the future. You know, like mm. just think of things totally out of the box. You know? Exactly. And the thing is, you know, you can say it as many times. Like I knew all this stuff before I did that thing. Yeah. But I hadn't learned the lesson, yeah. you know. You know, knowing it intellectually and and having felt that that sting of, oh, you know, yeah. put so much time and effort into it, and it didn't work. That's how you 
actually learn a lesson, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, neurologically, that's actually how you learn, right? So your, your brain uses the amount of neurochemicals released during an experience yeah. to determine how important it is. So if you just sit and you read something, there's none, no neurochemicals going on to make it sink in. Yeah. Whereas if you, if you try something and yeah. it fails and you feel that like gut, yeah. yeah, then your brain's like, okay, well, I'm never going to forget yeah. that thing. I'm never going to do that. No, anymore. definitely. I agree. I, I forget where I read it, but I heard a, read a quote and it said, I've learned more from my failures than my successes. Yeah. And it's like so true because I mean, if we're not trying things, how are we ever going to be successful at exactly. anything? You know, and I think our biggest fear today is the fear of failure, you know, and that's what holds us back from so many things. Yeah. So, what is the one thing that you have learned that you take into every sort of project with you or when mm. you're dealing with people? What is that one thing that you think is helpful? I think it's that, that growth mindset, that, that having that knowledge and belief that whatever it is, I can learn it. You know, I can figure it out. I might not be the best at it right now, but if I stick at it and I try and I learn and I read the right things and I focus on the right stuff, you can get good. Yeah. You can learn that skill. No, yeah. Nothing is, you're not just born being good or bad at something. Yeah. You know, you can work it. Uh, uh, so that in, in, in combination with doing what you love. So the other reason that's so important is it's a psychological state called flow. So yeah. like you know what it is. Like have you, you know, have you ever, when you maybe in a conversation or busy doing something that you love, where kind of time just, dis you know, you, yeah. like two hours go past, you just don't even realize it. Like you time flies when you're exactly so yeah. so that's called flow and and what happens in that state is you you learn two and a half times faster yeah, than in any true, other right? state because you engage more yep you you make connections that you'd never make so yeah. so if you can if you can spend more of your day in that state yeah. you you're going to be progressing two and a half times faster than people who don't Crazy, so okay. so and then finding something that you love the so the reason you love something is because it puts you in a flow state. Yeah. It it's releases a whole bunch of neurochemicals that are super, super addictive and um, really, really powerful. Yeah. So, so that feeling of loving what you're doing is actually directly correlated to how much time you spend yeah. in, in a flow state. No, so if you find that, you will just kind of accelerate past everybody yeah. else. And I think that's, that should actually be the foundation where everyone starts, right? Is finding that area where yeah. they can excel in naturally. Exactly. Because if we can find that space, then you're going to be going to work happy. Exactly. You don't have problems. You, you're going to be enjoying doing what you want to do. And if you do have extra hours, whatever the case, then it's great, you know? Exactly. It's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. So I think that's going to be like going forward, especially with the, the generation that we're in, is people are excelling at a rapid rate at whatever they're doing. So for us to get into a place where you want to be special, you're going to have to be very passionate about what you do, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah, 100% yeah, agree. Okay, cool. Well, Steve, thanks for your time today. I really cool, appreciate man. it. it thanks fun, for being man. on grandfonsale.com and we look forward to listening or seeing what else you have up your sleeve. Thanks, man. Awesome, man. Cheers. Yeah.